Jim Joyce. Hey, you made it. I made it. I made it. Uh, going crazy. Uh, you know, for all the listeners and viewers, we typically record at 7.30 p.m. CET. Um, yeah. And uh, Maureen and I were just getting to Milan. So crazy traffic, plane, you know, 20-minute delayed. So, but we made it uh, half hour You made away. it, man. Uh, yep. Looking Let forward to seeing uh, everyone in here. Frontiers Health start kicks yeah, off tomorrow. Exciting. Yeah, um, you got a big agenda. How are you doing? Are you making lots of meetings? What's your What's your conference attack approach? You're speaking, obviously. Yeah, so um, looking forward to once again interviewing Glenn. Um, I was joking around with John Halleck that I think I'm going to start ch- charging um, for you know personal <laughs> interviewing of Glenn. But no, I do right, right. I do enjoy it. Um, then I am moderating a panel on telehealth and is tele everything the answer. Um, then Marina and I, who is, you know, can see her hiding in the corner in the back there. Yes, we can see you. (laughs) Um, we're hosting a, your coach health coaching, um, hour. So to educate people on that. So tune in that's 3 PM tomorrow. Um, isn't she interviewing someone she's interviewing someone famous, is she so that's a next week is our thanks for reminding me next week is our global health and well-being coaching symposium so uh dan Ariely uh kicking us off uh many other yeah. amazing speakers and panels and all of that so i'll i'll, I'll post that to our uh youtube channel yeah. but listen um i want to catch up but i know um you know a we're trying to squeeze because our next guest uh came all the way from us this morning and we're all rusty a bit with jet lag so um it's late here in milan and i think she kind of took a nap so let's let her in and uh, acacia parks who um i had the pleasure of being on only like i think one or two panels with her somewhere um okay but uh, she is an amazing scientist and looking forward to oh, getting hi. to know her. Yeah. Hello. Hi. Hello. hi Acacia. I are you, are you, so, are you... Uh, I, I see alarmingly that you're both on camera. Is that <laughs> if are you are you not ready because it, it could be our first uh, voice only i know uh i know we got you out of bed you we got delayed so thank you for making the time all right let me see what i can do i right, say so, i'm not decent i thought this might happen so. i beautiful, yeah, okay beautiful there we go there we go all, all good so what welcome to europe i guess you got in this morning right uh um, i did yeah okay benvenuto benvenuto you just reminded me that i have coffee (laughs) yeah Yeah, uh, no it's been it's been lovely you know we uh we got in and uh, got a chance to eat some small portion of milan but it is typically my objective whenever i travel somewhere new to eat close to all of it that's uh (laughs) absolutely we're well on our way Perfect. That's what Marina and I go from, you know, when when we go to a new place, there's some sightseeing, but it's in between, you know, local-ish food places and, you know, et cetera, getting, that's how you get real culture, right? That's a good excuse, at least. So first of all, like, like I, 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 and I've said this to other guests, but I think you've trumped everyone else. Acacia, you have the coolest name, like that. Where, like they have the, the Acacia is uh, just as a starting point. I, I think that it's one of the best names we've had on the show. Eugene, you agree? I, I agree. I was going to ask, what is there? Uh, I know there's a, an Acacia plant or tree, or there's some. Is there any connotation to that at all? 
when your parents yeah so you? it's uh it's after the winery in california though i think yeah. the the nuance that's missing so far is that my last name is parks which my husband really likes to remind me uh because acacia <laughs> is a tree uh, that mm-hmm. uh, a cruel game was played on me. And it was honestly, I was like 30 years old by the time I realized it because right, he went right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So they, uh, they named me after a winery in California where they used to uh, vacation. That uh, sounds fantastic. <laughs> well, welcome to I the... like wine. <laughs> welcome to the show. Yeah, it's in my name. <laughs> Jim, meet Acacia. Acacia, meet Jim. I was just saying before you kind of came in um, that I think you and I, you know, we're sort of, I don't know, let's call it LinkedIn stalking for a while. Then we had the pleasure <laughs> of being with Almiral um, uh-huh. on a conference. And that's the first time I think we actually have like really, you know, definitely engaged and spoken. So good to have you here. But as we like to say for our millions of viewers and listeners, tell us who Acacia is, kind of a little bit of your history and story and how you got to what you're doing now. Sure. I'm a psychologist by training. I went to the University of Pennsylvania, which is kind of like this amazing amalgam of if you're going to be a psychology PhD, uh, there's kind of no better place to get broad training in everything that works than the University of Pennsylvania. And so my, my origin story kind of begins as somebody who learns how to do cognitive therapy from, you know, the masters of cognitive therapy, um, was kind of invented there and then positive psychology because I worked with Marty Seligman who was you know we were kind of co-inventing the concept of using positive psychology as a way to improve mental health at that time and then also uh, the Penn program for stress management or the Penn program for mindfulness now where I learned mindfulness so it's like I kind of learned everything out there that works and got really passionate about the idea of uh, translating those things into a format where people could actually reach them because I was very frustrated by the time I got out of grad school, realizing people don't get access to the things that work. Uh, you know, millions and millions of tax dollars go into demonstrating that if you teach people X and Y in a specific format, that it will prevent depression, prevent anxiety, treat depression, all of these things. But then it's like in a file drawer somewhere, never to actually see the light of day. Right. So I got super passionate about technology uh, as a, a way to disseminate what works to the general public, where I really saw these like, huge gaps where people were just weren't, weren't able to get care even if they wanted it, and then the care they got wasn't necessarily evidence-based. Um, so it's step one of my origin story is kind of like this person who really cares about that. Um, yep. And then the other thing that was sort of percolating at that time, which is really kind of a central thread for me, is... I, uh, in my dissertation research, uh, discovered uh, with Marty Seligman that if you uh, know that a person is depressed and um, you teach them ways to, that are sort of more positively focused, don't really ever talk about their mm. depression at all, you could still fix their depression. Like what? Mm. Like you don't ever have to bring it up. You don't ever have to focus on depression or get all disease focused. Um, you know, right. people can walk away from eight weeks with you um, significantly improved and you never brought up depression. So that was like a huge kind of career defining moment too, wow. to kind of realize that. Can, and that's um, counter, yeah. that's yeah, counter gonna... norms, right? Is there, that, that's counter, you know, logical thinking that you have to kind of go deep. <laughs> Yeah, you have to go deep and you have to drill into the problem that's causing the depression. But, uh, you know, between behavioral activation, right, which is kind of just the idea that 
if you're depressed and you're lying around and not doing anything, that makes it worse. And if you can just get into doing something um, that that has a kind of upward spiral effect uh, between that and the fact that uh, a lot of depression is negative biases where there might be good things in your life, but you're not ever going to pay attention to them because the, the right. negative things are just so powerful and overwhelming that actually tweaking things so that there's a more even balance does the trick. Love it. I, like can, I've, can been I actually... I've been sweeping things under the carpet for years. There's a lot to unpack there. It's obvious. No, no, no. It's obvious. This is why this is our intervention every Wednesday. So um, for, for mainly Jim. Um, but actually, I wanted to double click. It's actually interesting what you said, right? Because while, you know, eight weeks and you are talking to the patient, um, but at the end of the day, you're spending X amount of time in that office chair, virtual chair, what, you know, whatever. But, you know, most of the time those patients are by themselves. And that's where sort of the, I would assume that's where the deep thoughts come in and all of that. So I, I'm just kind of curious in that eight weeks and let's call it an hour a week or whatever that might be, how does that actually improve it? Because 23 hours a day, you're still in your own head. I, well, and you know, a lot of my training in graduate school was all around this idea of, I, I, they probably call it something better than homework now, but homework, right? It's like, it's not really okay. about what you're doing with the client that one hour. It's about what you're asking them to spend the next week playing with or trying to do. Um, and that has a really great corollary to digital tools where, you know, you might be able to prompt them every day. Hey, remember, you're going like, to try that thing yep. today. Um, or even better yet, detecting at the time when a person might need that and being like, hey, it's that time. Like, let's do that thing we discussed. Um, but, you know, the other thing, this was like, uh, you know, I was an undergraduate uh, at the time. I started to read. So this was, I'm not going to date myself, but decades ago. Um, that there were published studies that found that if you compared in-person psychotherapy with a person reading a book written by a therapist that was sort of step-by-step -step activities that are like, here's how you do this thing that if we were in therapy, I'd teach you to do, that the effects were indistinguishable. It worked mm. just as well if a person was motivated enough to read and practice what was in the book versus if somebody went to therapy and was motivated enough to do what their therapist told them. So once I understood you could kind of break techniques, you know, there are important things that you can get from a therapist, but they're mostly motivational and adherence related. Um, mm. They're, you know, what kind of drives you to continue practicing, but the techniques themselves, there's not some magical thing that happens when a human says how to do it to you versus if you learn about how to do it in text or from an AI chatbot. Uh, the techniques are the techniques. And those kind of active ingredients can be taught in a lot of different ways. And most importantly, can be reinforced between sessions. I, I like your comment about active ingredients, right? Because we've talked about, especially in kind of digital therapies, um, you know, active ingredients could be colors, active ingredients could be sounds, active mm -hmm. ingredients could be the voices that come through it, right? Um, so it's interesting you mentioned active ingredients in that context as well. Yeah, I think that active ingredients can um, maybe most especially be about the individualized, personalized fit to that particular person. So like part of why I got very passionate about the idea of not just bringing cognitive therapy, right? And like a lot of, a lot of uh, products and companies are 
kind of religiously affiliated. Right? They have just the CBT is the thing that they do. Yep. But the truth is, like, not everybody I tried to do CBT with because I was in a CBT practicum and so I was required to practice the CBT skills, it wasn't a good fit for everybody. Um, mm. And, you know, there's pretty good research that shows that you have to believe the story behind the therapy you're being asked to do. It has to feel plausible to you for it to actually help you in any way. So um, I got really interested in this idea of having multiple options and finding the right way to match people to the one that's going to work best for them. Because, you know, there, there's the, well, and I would say the active ingredient might be core. Like, let's say like the active ingredient is like rethinking um, when you think about your day, like rethinking how you do that. Like, what do you take into account when you think about like, did I have a good day today? But the way that you get there could be mindfulness based, right? It could be Mm -hmm. sort of like sitting with how you're feeling right now and kind of thinking, okay, so how do I really feel as opposed to like what's going through my head? But you could also get into a positive psychology approach where you're much more focused on like, okay, so what what are the good things that actually happened today? And let me really savor those things. Um, And the end point might be the same, right? There are different paths to get there. Another quick plug, you mentioned the word mindfulness. So Acacia will be with us next week on a mindfulness panel with some other awesome Mm. panelists, including uh, one of the early investors, Charlie Hartwell. uh, Charlie Hartwell. Charlie into Happify and uh, 10% Better and Insight Timer and uh, sort of all the household names and headspace. Um, So a little plug for the viewers, you know, sign up at yourcoach.help. So I like, I, I've got a question. Does anyone ever get upset? Like in medicine, sometimes when you come up with a cure, uh, you know, you get this interesting group of patients that are upset that there's a cure because they get identified by their disease. Uh-huh. So, you know, so they, you know, so you have the patient that goes for an infusion in a hospital and becomes friends and meets the nurse and it becomes part of their routine. And then all of a sudden you cure, you know, whatever the condition is. And and they're upset because they no longer have it. Does, it. Is there a case in mental health that if you like, don't take away my depression from me because I'm identified with it. I'm just asking for you a know, friend. It's, <laughs> it's just, you know, a hypothetical question, right? Uh, it's, it's interesting. Cause I, I remember, um, you know, we, uh, we had this deal with Sanofi a couple of years ago that we'd signed about around MS. And uh, so we spent some time trying to understand how to generalize what we were doing at Happify, which is really kind of taking mindfulness and positive psychology and CBT and uh, making it digital and trying to do that in the case of MS, we had a couple of different distinct camps. Some folks were just like, why do you keep talking about my MS? Like, I'm just a person, man, leave it alone. And then there was a whole other camp that was like, wait, this doesn't even mention my MS. Are you for real? Like, is this legitimate? Can this possibly help me? Right. So like, uh, I, I think that people have different people have different orientations to their disease and like what it means to improve. Um, but I think what we see a lot more is about, um, you know, what kind of messaging people want about what it is that they're doing and the nature of what they're doing. You know, is it a lifelong journey to wellness in which case it never ends? Um, is it a temporary thing where we're just going to like whip this thing, uh, you know, at, this thing up and get it out uh, of my system or uh, you know is it is it an ongoing relationship and I think there's something for everybody in that kind of messaging um, depending on what what you're looking for but right like what you're talking about are things like you know loneliness and like wanting to be connected and right. there are ways to tackle those yep. in digital interventions without having it necessarily be about a disease and those can be much more kind of ongoing lifelong um, you know practices 
But, you know, you bring up a, a, a point around, again, back to this personalization. For some people, CBT may work, for others will not. For some people, uh, you know, they're happy to be relieved of depression. Others may have uh, kind of like where, you know, why did you heal me already, right? It, it, will, be a spectrum, it will be a spectrum um, of, of individualization uh, around all of this, all the choices that we make, right? And that's... That's another place, though, where I think that um, therapists have been providing such a valuable service for many years as the only entity that was capable of tailoring in that way. And as AI becomes more and more sophisticated, it, that's becoming scalable, too. Uh, and that's important because they're just like physically are not enough therapists. Right. I, I, everybody on this call knows that, you know, in terms of doctors and therapists, that they uh, demand far uh, outstrips the ability to kind of provide care. So uh, recent developments have made it seem more plausible that, you know, uh, algorithms can take everything they know about you and everything that's happening on your, you know, wearables and everything you're entering into a product and tell you the right thing to do the way that 30 years ago, only a therapist could listen to you for a few months and be like, ah, mm -hmm. this is what you should do. Mm. Yep. And when you line up all these, like all the tools, like when you think about all the different tools out for mental health and cognitive therapy, and um, that's all being digitized, like, how are we going to line them all up in five years from now and compare, you know, like, how, where do you think that, you know, they just come in with such a point of view that it just is like that fits for you, or it's because it's reimbursable. Have you seen the Hunger Games? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, like a it's a big wrestling match and like, you know, it's like, it's like half of half of five. Or, <laughs> I'm not going to say. No, it's true. And like, <laughs> right. And like you, I mean, you, you, I'm sure both of you have observed the recent trend towards mergers and acquisitions yep. in uh, this Absolutely. area. <laughs> right. So it's, you know, a combination of, uh, I mean, I wish I, I'm not really joking. <laughs> I think things are going to consolidate um, right. and things are going to battle it out and uh, a few will emerge as, as the victors. And those are going to be the ones that are kind of still standing. But my personal opinion is that um, the ones that are going to uh, win are either ones that do one thing exceedingly well or mm. the ones that really tackle precision care. Um, so, you know, if you just have your one thing and you do it really well, you don't have to worry so much about figuring out what different things to offer patients because they're only, it's just your one thing. Uh, but right. if you are gonna offer a variety of things, uh, my sense is that that's really only a winning strategy if you can assign people smartly and not just let them pick or have a ton of content. Yeah. And are we like fundamental, like I always think like when I worked in the area of uh, anti-TNF inhibitors, like, um, uh -huh. you know, products like Humira that would tackle rheumatoid arthritis and it tackles Crohn's disease and it tackles say psoriasis. And what we found was that patients that are on the dermatological medications tend to cycle and someone that has severe rheumatoid arthritis might be a more classic chronic patient. But if you think for mental health, are we, are you, con are people constantly cycling through looking for new treatments to do deal with their mental health? Like, is, is that the nature of it? Or do you think there's some products that will take care of you, you know, throughout your life? I think it can kind of be like weight loss where like there's so many different approaches and like people try things and that doesn't work. So they try a different thing, but you don't really hear about, you know, a success story of like, oh, so-and-so, you know, lost 20% of their body weight doing this thing, but then they just tried something different, right? It's, it's because it's not the right thing for them. Um, and you see that right. pattern all over the place. 
So, uh, you know, I, I think it's, um, if there was something that worked for people long-term, they would be sticking with it. And that to me is a marker of, uh, and I think patient churn is just a huge thing in digital therapeutics in general. Mm. It's that uh, one, digital therapeutics aren't necessarily keeping the long game in mind, right? This isn't like a thing you're going to, this isn't a a series of habits you're going to adopt for the rest of time. And as long as you do, you'll stay well, which by the way, is how cognitive therapy basically works, right? You do cognitive therapy for eight to 12 weeks with a therapist, or you read the book or whatever. And assuming you remember the techniques and keep using them, you will be treated long-term. Right. But I'll tell you, you I, I, doesn't work. I, I hit my uh, 1500 day streak on Headspace with full disclosure. Mm. I've had to reset it two or three times due to travel. Um, however, blame however, the travel, Eugene, blame, blame the travel on this one. <laughs> but, you know, even though I have all the techniques in my head, that little gamification component, I think we even talked about this on one of the shot episodes, but it kind of keeps me at it. Right. And I want to ensure that I do at least a few minutes uh, outside of what my daily breathing activities are anyway. Um, I do. I do agree with you that I think there there is a, a churn. I think you know. Again, if you're feeling better, whatever that may mean to you, mm-hmm. you move off. Right. Um, it's actually the same drop off. I mean, patients stop taking their drugs because they think they feel better. They think they feel better. Um, and sort of similar comparisons into the DTX. Even though we've had so many discussions, how do we not put a DTX in the same pill box, right, um, yeah. as the actual pills? Yeah, and SilverCloud even published a study that basically looked at reasons why people dropped out of their clinical trials. And one of the leading reasons was they're like, I got what I needed, I'm done. Right. Um, which right. which is sort of counterintuitive, right? Because like, don't you attribute your improvement to the thing right. that you were doing? Yeah, it's like yeah. a new bar though, right? Like it's like you said, like if you if you have a fitness goal and you achieve it, then you want to go for the next one or you know, yeah. or whatever, or you miss it, then you think it you attributed to it, <laughs> you know, you're missing it for the listen, I've I've been working on my six pack all my life. It's somewhere there. <laughs> uh, just you know <laughs> it's in your well, soul. Somewhere. You should have like a cognitive. You should have a cognitive behavior buddy, like I do with Eugene. So, like every Wednesday, one of us is like needs to be picked up, and the other one is needs a little yeah. help. So we just kind of we just cycle through, <laughs> and then sometimes we pick up the guests, you know, or they Dude, pick what, us up. What? What? Well, so we, by the way, I promised I was texting with Acacia. I promised her that typically we kind of suck the energy out of our guest, um, right. but this time we're gonna have to give energy to Acacia. So you know, yeah. I'm feeling it. I feel energetic today. So I'm, I'm happy to give you some. <laughs> it's like co- coffee in a human being. Just There you go. Right. right. So yeah, I've I, been described as caffeinated. <laughs> I'm not sure where we, I'm not sure where we paused on, on your journey. We sort of double clicked 17 times oh. into all different topics, but let's, let's get back to Acacia. And- no, I'm, I'm with it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think I, I just emerged from graduate school, um, thinking about all of the things that I had sort of highlighted about people not actually being able to access things that work. So I was like, I spent all of graduate school developing new things that work and then realized like, nobody's ever going to see these things. This is ridiculous. Um, And even when I tried to put it in technology, I kind of realized like the technology things that I developed sucked, right? Like I was some academic, like, what did I know about how to develop and engaging? And at that time, like nobody, nobody knew um, in academia. I don't know whether that's still the case because I haven't been in academia for, you know, a long time now, but um, it's, 
my fam family's up to hijinks over there. <laughs> um, it's late. So, you know, I was, uh, I was really sort of horrified at the low quality of intervention that I had managed to make with like, you know, my, my one shot web designer in 2009. Um, and so I kind of, issued a cry for help into the audience at a conference um, where I was like, look, we know it works. We can't get it to people and academics don't know how to do technology at all. Like, why are we not collaborating with industry? Why are we not, you know, taking advantage of what people know about, you know, Netflix and these, you know, <laughs> all kinds of very engaging right. um, ways that people were interacting yeah. with technology. And at that time, uh, you know, Tomer and Ofer, the co-founders, well, the eventual co-founders of Happify. I was the first person they talked to about the Happify concept before it had a name. Wow. So, uh, yeah. Before it had a name. Yeah, no, it was, they just had this idea that like, oh, well, they'd worked, they'd uh, built a, up a casual gaming company and they wanted to make something that leveraged that to actually improve people's um by the way, health, also, I, I know I'm obsessed with names, but epic name, Happify, just, if you just feel happier. It's like the it. best name. Exactly. Uh, although apparently uh, pharma clients tend to find it puzzling because, you know, they, they want to call it antidepressant, antidepressify, right? They, they don't <laughs> right. understand the concept of like promising happiness because people want to know what they're getting. Back to that whole destigmatized thing I'm like so pumped about. It's like Happify um, as a title really right. conveys they, they find what it we're trying to do. They yeah. find it condescending. Or <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly, exactly. They're like, but happiness isn't even like a cool or important thing. But of course, you know, there's uh, lots and lots of research now that shows that uh, while happiness and depression aren't the opposite of each other, if you're really happy, it's very hard to be depressed. Right. So like we were with, um, you know, Carlos Rodarte. Yeah, we were with him and he was he was saying he was feeling a little bit down. So he was like, he walked in the room and he's like, oh, these DTX companies were there and they were talking about the impact DTX had. He's like, I'm kind of like, a, you know, I'm like the opposite of a DTX. I'm like depressing people today. <laughs> and, and he's not, he's a super positive guy. You know, like he's a super like nice guy. And I'm like, he's yeah, great. so we named him the RDTX, you know, the reverse DTX. The reverse DTX? <laughs> I like it. That's not a nickname you want. No. <laughs> no, but he's not that way at all. He's always positive and supportive, you know. Hatch RDTX. Yeah, I guess as, lo as long as you're calling him that ironically. <laughs> yep. It's ironic. It's ironic. I don't want to get in trouble with Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, they're sitting out in the audience. They're hearing me talk about all these things and they're going, oh, wait, but that's that's what we're trying to do. And so uh, we started talking and uh, I eventually hopped over from my uh, tenure track professor position to just do this because, you know, I was seeing the impact and the number of patients we were reaching and thought, I got to double down on this. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've been with Habify for 10 years total now. I recently oh, wow. my wow. tenure anniversary. Did you get a watch? Um, and what did you get? <laughs> uh, kind words in a group meeting. <laughs> A group, a group, group therapy, a group, group therapy, group therapy. Yeah, but now I'm thinking about a watch, so thanks. Yeah, yeah. I got screwed. Uh, I, you, I didn't say that. Uh, yeah, so that was. I mean, it's been it's been a long um, ride from a really general concept to something that has become much more sophisticated in terms of you know, tackling mind and body and doing it in a variety of chronic disease areas, not just kind of. Uh, you know, I think we started off very much being consumer and employee mental health and uh, doubling down on the more clinics, clinical side, um, releasing a prescription uh, digital mm -hmm. therapeutic for 
uh, generalized anxiety disorder and major depressive disorder. So really kind of encompassing the entire spectrum of ways that you can intervene on a person's mental health to benefit their physical health, to benefit their interaction with a mental disorder, um, or, you know, the original metrics of, you know, work productivity and uh, engagement. Right. And you must be things. one of the longest, longest serving digital health, you know, scientific officers or employees in general, 10 years. But like, in a like young way. In a young way. You're, <laughs> you're one of the OGs. Yeah. You started when you were just coming out of school. So <laughs> yeah, was... definitely. <laughs> So maybe, uh, can we double click? Because uh, I think Happify is actually, to my knowledge, I think the only DTX that has kind of a self-paced, non, non-prescription, but also a prescription DTX. Yeah. Your, your thoughts, and, and I, yeah, I, you know, I'm trying to think about on the spot here, but I think, anyway, um, can you talk about you know, and again, I think on one side, it's a bit of a spectrum, but kind of some of your thoughts on, you know, non-prescription and prescription DTX. I know Brian Dolan would, would love this discussion. Boy, it's, it's so hard to do them at the same time, um, because from a regulatory standpoint, you're really, um, you have to meet all of the standards of uh, the prescription side, which are high and make studies expensive. And remember, I'm like coming from the science part of this. So like I yep. could run the studies and like, you're talking about the difference between a study that costs, you know, uh, $40,000 and a study that costs $2 million, even though it's basically right. the same study because it has to be done in a certain way um, right. to, to kind of meet those standards. And um, uh, so there's that piece um, where your, your, your organization, like we had to grow to sort of um, be capable of that. And it was a pretty big, I mean, we just uh, went from 40 to uh, 170 in about a year. So, oh, wow. uh, you know, and a lot of that, not all of it, but a significant portion of that is tied to growing our, our regulatory function and our quality function so that we can do all the things we need to do to be making regulated products. But you know, I think the hardest part, at least from a research strategy perspective, is when you've got multiple products for the same kind of rough purpose, but at different levels of regulation, and you have to make them clearly different. Like, right. how is a prescription product for depression and anxiety disorders different from a product for managing symptoms of depression and anxiety, which yep. is different from a wellness product that sort of indirectly tackles symptoms of depression and anxiety? Right. Um, that's, that's a lot of work. <laughs> right. And, but at the end of the day, it's about the claims you make, right, um, as well, right? Yeah. And I think, obviously, going through the FDA process is much more stringent uh, on the claims that you, you're, you're, you're making out of that, right? Yeah, but so, you got to also design studies where if they're held side by side, it's clear how the claims are different and how the price points should be different. And right. that's not always possible because if you're taking something with a similar mechanism of action, you, know, you have to be really careful to titrate dose, to you know, think about how you're measuring outcomes so that they don't just look like the same thing. It's, right. uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a pretty challenging proposition, actually. Right. No, it's fascinating. And, and, and even like you said, the organization kind of configuring towards a direct-to-consumer offering everything they have to do to be successful, because that's not easy. It, you know, how do you communicate your offering and how do you make mm -hmm. claims and, and, you know, how do you keep gamify it and keep people on versus 
just winning over the endorsement of a clinician that says, I'm going to use this because it's clinically validated. Right. And that's, yeah, that's or also health tough. plans or pharma companies you want to do deals with, you know, all which of is, these different audiences have different things, which is easier, for. which is easier. Oh, you just said one is easy, which is really cute. <laughs> no, I said, no, which is easier, easier. <laughs> no, no, it's, no, 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 none of it's easy. Um, honestly, <laughs> Nothing I, think is easy. By them, I mean, any of them by themselves would be easier than them together, right? So it's less that any one, actually, you know, that's not totally true because I would say that when you're, you know, when you're doing a product that you're ultimately going to submit to FDA and like you're having pre-submission meetings with them, like they're not always completely like do this and you'll be fine, right? They're not going to give you that right. level of feedback, but they are giving feedback, which is really like a lot less mysterious than like say a health plan, right? Where if, if there's one sentiment in the last year that I've heard of like every panel that I've attended or been on, it's like health plans don't know exactly what they want, but they know that whatever we're giving them is not it. Right. <laughs> right. Like not right, us right. personally, but like digital therapeutics. It's like they just they want yeah. more, more evidence, uh, yeah. more different types of evidence. And they just they want more. And so um, that's that's tough because you don't have a direct line to speak to them where it's like I think FDA is still figuring out what they want too, but they'll talk to you. Right. Well, the incentives are different, right? I mean, if you think about a health plan, their whole sole job is to do risk management. Yeah. I mean, right. that's it, Indeed. right? And so yeah. in the in negotiation, right? Like it's a negotiation. It's it's such a it's a procurement function fundamentally, right? For a, a plan, and I, I don't know what I want, but I know it's not you kind of approach to life. Right? <laughs> so um, yeah, well, absolutely. It's it's like uh, they well, but also I think there's a like yeah, I've realized at least for the last few years that. Um, when you are in a new market, it's your job to educate the people you're selling to about what they want. Right. Uh, and so we saw this a lot with employers where like employers are kind of like, I don't know, I've got this budget. What am I going to spend it on? And, and if you can come in there and be like on this, right. <laughs> right. And really get with them confidence. to see how cool it would be for them to do that because it's not, they may have never seen another solution like yours or right. there's like two or three, you know, it's not like they're inundated with options. So there's right. definitely this, you know, um, educational component that uh, can be a bit more, more tricky. Listen, anytime you're doing anything new, right? Um, and uh, so be, being, being cognitive, by the way, I know we promised vacation to get you back to the family and or sleep one, one or the other. Um, should we move Inversely on? correlated. Yeah. <laughs> right. Spoken like a true scientist. Um, right. Jim, shall we go to the to the question? I mean, there's there's so much to double click on or keep clicking, yeah. but I I you know want to be respectful. Plus, Marina is waiting for our date here in Milano. Hundred percent, a lot. And hungry. And hangry. Okay, so this <laughs> is hangry. Not yeah. hangry. I was so get, in that phase earlier. I understand. Oh, you were you in the hung, phase? We get hungry for Marina. We get sleep deprived. Okay, here we go. So so imagine yourself, Acacia, Acacia. Um, you're an academic. Uh, that has come up with the brilliant game-changing idea to transform the world and distribute cognitive therapy to everybody and save millions and millions of people um, in many, many different ways. And so you've got this great idea and, you know, this young person is going, what advice would you give to that, to that person as they go out and start their company? What core advice would you try to impart to them based on your 10 years of experience? 
at Appify? So I think, you know, I'm actually about to uh, talk about this at, at the Frontiers Conference uh, tomorrow, but- A little um, preview. I, yeah, there is, I, I think that uh, many of us who come from an academic background are guilty of making products for nobody in particular that we think that somebody needs. And uh, to, to not derive the contents of a product from actually talking to patients and uh, really like working with patients at every step to understand how it's working for them, maybe in ways you can't possibly anticipate. Like I talk about in my talk, migraines, because I have migraines and like there are all these well-meaning apps to help you keep track, track of your migraines. But they're like, I hear you're having, you know, it feels like an ice pick sticking through your head. Why don't I ask you 25 questions? And it's like, that are on a lighted screen that you can't look at. Like if you don't talk to patients about things, they're just basic things that will not work about your product. And it's a big mistake coming out of academia to just sort of assume, well, academically, I know that people need this. And so I'm just gonna make something to deliver it. It's like a delivery mechanism. But if you really want to actually penetrate people's lives, you have to understand what they're looking for and what their life consists of so that you can become a part of that. And uh, I, I think that that's something that, um, you know, uh, industry folks who get a scientist figure out, but scientists who get an industry person or who just start a company themselves may not figure out until they're many years down the path with something that isn't that good. Um, ask me how I know, right? Like, cause I had this own, my own things that I made in graduate school and I put years of research into something that was just, wasn't a good product. It was never going to be commercially successful um, in a patient's life. So I think it's, it's huge to, um, not just think that you know that you know what you're making is needed, but to actually find people who want it and uh, and make it something that's going to help them and that you verify with them is going to help them. It seems obvious. Yeah, it's not. Mm. Spe speaking of, an, of another kind of professor, um, uh, Chris Wasden, is he actually coming to Milano tomorrow? No, well? he's or calling he's in. That no, he's, he's calling in with you. Okay, remotely, you guys yeah. are doing. Yeah. yeah that's Although I just saw him last week. So, I mean, it doesn't go very, I mean, we're, we're almost like, we spend a lot of time together. So I'll yeah. try to channel him as much as I can. Excellent. <laughs> Bring the Chris Waston party to, uh, to us. Well, yeah. listen, we, we also got to do an honorary quick mention as always of Matthew Holt and just Massa. I mean, that's like a given they're somewhere around <laughs> Milano as well, but like, this is a running Send my regard. We, we always tag them on, on, on every episode, I think at this point. Um, Excellent. Well, again, thank you. Thank you for sticking Grazie. around. Thank you for not falling asleep. And um, I will see you in, <laughs> in person tomorrow. Have awesome. a great conference. Thank you for having me. Have a great night. Nice to Pleasure. meet you. Have a great yeah, conference. Bye. Bye. bye.